Hello and welcome back to Chasing Perfection, a UConn women's basketball podcast. The Huskies have made it through their three games in five days going into the holidays. They break for 10 days with three victories in those games, a ranked win, and two blowout victories that were expected to be blowout victories against a normal biggie school and a Canadian school, which I found out doing some research before the game is not the first time they've played a Canadian team. So it just only happens about once every 40 years. So we can expect the next one approximately 20, 45-ish, that range. So the Louisville's game's the big one, though. That's the ranked game. That was the one that was certainly circled in this stretch, and UConn put together really its best top-to-bottom performance of the season. Offensively, it was their season high in field goal percentage. They just surpassed it against Toronto Metropolitan, which counts but doesn't feel like it should count. Their defense allowed, I believe it was 27 points in the first quarter and then 35 points the rest of the way. So just a really good showing, and I think a sign that it's not just they're playing weaker opponents and that's why things are starting to look better. Not that UNC and Louisville are world beaters, but to look so solid two games in a row and now going on four games in a row since then, I think it's a really good sign. And it seems like the pieces are starting to figure themselves out for this UConn team. Yeah. I think we said last week that we'd kind of learn a lot about this team in kind of this stretch of games. And then the stretch when they get back for the holidays where they've got Marquette and Creighton in it. It does feel like things are starting to kind of click into place. Yeah, and it helps that the freshmen are really turning a corner because yes. they're such a big part of this team. Ashlyn Shada's back-to-back 20-point performances, which we're going to get into, feels like really since UNC, KK Arnold's been playing a lot better, and I couldn't really figure it out because her numbers, she had good numbers against Louisville, but just in general, her numbers haven't been spectacular, and I really liked the way that Jeff Walls described it in that she gets a lot of hockey assists those secondary assists where you're not the one making the pass that leads to the basket or in the hockey reference you're not the one that makes the pass before the goal you're making the pass that leads to the primary assist and that really kind of fits in with the way she's playing because she looks a lot more comfortable she looks like she's just out there playing her game And if some days the points are really flowing or the assists are piling up or the steals are there, that's great. But it's not like when those things aren't there on the stat sheet, it's as if she's playing worse. I feel like she's really been steady in a way that the other freshmen haven't been, at least since the UNC game. You could probably go back a little more before that, but I thought it really became clear against UNC and it's just she's taken off since then. Yeah, I agree. And I think the Jeff Walls might have also messaged this, but like the way she pushes the pace as well for this team has allowed them to, to get out and transition more, to just find more easy baskets. I feel like in Louisville and even the UNC game too, that there weren't necessarily like, you know, turnovers or things like that, but just the way she put, pushed the place, pace allowed UConn to get a basket before the other team could even figure out how to get their defense set. Yeah, that's been a really big part of this offense coming together is they've been good at 
turning the ball over, turning the opponent over, and getting those points in transition. And it's just, I feel like I've said this a lot all season, but this isn't going to be the type of defense that just suffocates opponents the way that they did with some of their great teams where I think Madigan posted the screenshot during last night's game of SMU when they were up like 73-9 to at one point. I don't think they're going to be that type of team where you just can't get a shot off against them and there's a lot of shot clock violations and again it's that suffocating D but we've seen that this team can have an impact offensively and can get in other teams heads because they're disruptive and after they got torched against NC State when they came home to play Maryland they were getting their hands on a lot of balls they were getting steals they were getting blocks not necessarily a, a defensive style that shuts teams out, but you're creating opportunities for yourself by taking away opportunities for the other team. And the Butler game, I think, is a really good example of how that works because Butler cannot miss a shot from three to start that game. I think there were eight of nine from behind the arc. They were four of 12 on two-pointers, and they were one of four from inside the paint or on layups which you know they should have just started taking half court shots at that point based on the way things were going but the way that game turned and the way that UConn finally took over was they just stopped allowing Butler to get shots because they were forcing turnovers and those turnovers were leading to points on the other end and as Gino explained it you can put pressure defensively on the other team simply by having a good offense. And it's one thing to be taking those shots when it's, you know, within five points in either direction, or especially if you're up. But when that score starts to widen and all of a sudden you really got to hit this shot, otherwise it's going to feel like this game's falling out of your reach, the basket no longer looks as large. And I think that's what happened against Butler, but Louisville too, they forced a lot of turnovers that also made up for the million turnovers they had. And it's just the way that this defense is going to operate because they don't really have that many lockdown defenders, but they can still have a good defensive performance and create from their defense and limit teams simply because of how much they turn them over and disrupt them. And I mean, block shots with the way Paige is playing down low. There's a lot of different ways that they can attack you defensively, even if it's not the classic style we're used to from UConn. Agreed. I think the other thing that was positive about that Butler game, and I know we have to talk about Louisville probably more first, but was that they didn't let that like first stretch where Butler was just hitting shot after shot to find the tone for the game. I think when we look back to like the Texas game, and obviously a very different caliber of opponent, but Texas just couldn't miss shots start the game, and UConn just kind of looked deflated, and it, it really set the tone for the rest of that game. Where in this case, they were able to then and just keep their composure, keep trying to do what they needed to do. And then, you know, like easily could have turned into a grind it out. You win that game by 10 points, but they're able to kind of keep executing and then win it by 30 like they're expected to. Yeah, and what Gino said at halftime and afterwards was that he was happy with the defense, but sometimes the other team's just going to hit shots. And I think that helps too when you know everything that you're doing is right. And the other team is just hitting everything. I mean, there was one play. It didn't count as a 
as a basket in that game, but the shot clock was winding down and Butler kind of got caught out near the three point line and it expired. But the Butler player like turned and just fired this prayer from basically standing next to Gino on the sideline and it swished. And it's just like, yeah, that's, that's how this game is going for Butler. Literally everything that they attempt from three is going in. I wasn't able to watch the Texas game super closely, but I wonder if it was the fact that they didn't feel like they were playing well defensively and they were allowing those shots. But then also kind of the inverse of what Gino said about putting pressure on the other team with your offense, they were putting pressure on their defense with their own offense by just not executing on that end of the floor. So this team has not been very good at dealing with in-game adversity so far this year. And it never seemed like they panicked against Butler because I, you almost had to laugh about it, how crazy it was that they were hitting every single shot that they were taking. Yeah, agreed. Back to Louisville. We saw for the first time, really, Paige and Aaliyah have big performances. Both of them kind of did what we expected them to do, but the real X factor in that game is the way that Aubrey Griffin exploded season high in points and even less than the numbers. It was just the way that she took over that game and was so impactful on both ends, the aggressiveness that she played with. It was what exactly this team needs because, you know, generally if one of Paige and Aaliyah aren't on in a given night, then the way this team is currently built, it's not going to be a good night, especially against a top team. But you get that third piece like Aubrey Griffin playing the way that she did in that game, playing the way that she did in the follow-up against Butler. All of a sudden, that makes the lives easier on Nika, where there's not as much of an onus to score on her. It very clearly helps Ashlyn Shade just get freed up and there's less defensive attention on her. And my God, her confidence is through the roof, as we will get to. K.K. Arnold can dish to a lot of different people and feel pretty good about it. And she was getting left open to shoot, and she was knocking down her shots. Caden Samuels, when she was getting in there, she's getting shots. So it really just changes the way that the rest of the, really, the freshman and Nika can play when Aubrey is at that level. And they don't need her to be averaging 25 points every night that's not realistic even though gino says she can do it but if they're just getting a solid contribution if she's consistently their third scorer and is consistently as direct and aggressive as she was against louisville and against butler we will certainly have a much different outlook on this team and a much different set of expectations if it continues for three games, four games, five games a month into February, into March. Yeah, exactly. I think with a lot of things that we've seen in the last week, it's like, it's a great stretch, but now it's like, can they consistently deliver at that level? And like you said, we're going to see a lot in the next weeks and, you know, through conference play, and there'll be a, a fair amount of tests in there to make sure it's consistent. But I agree. I think if, you know, Aubrey and Ashley, like we talked about, can keep executing at the level they are this team is looking a lot better than they were even two weeks ago. Yeah, two weeks ago I was talking about, oh man, they just got to get to Christmas break. And once they get to the (laughs) Christmas break, it feels like they're going to be able to get a really good reset. Now they're at the Christmas break and 
damn, it would be nice if they kept playing because they're they're on a little bit of a roll and it seems like they're starting to figure out what everyone can do, what they can do as a whole. It, it's just like Gino talked about. They had to hit the reset button and it seems like it's all starting to come together and now they all go home for, I actually don't know how long they'll actually be away, but they're off for 10 days and they don't play again. And you're coming into Marquette a little bit colder than you probably would like. Yeah, especially because it's not an easy first game back. It's not, you know, an opponent that's just going to roll over. That's going to be a tough game. Marquette looks really good this year. And, it, I mean, they're just always a tough team. So it's going to be a, a hard one to start off the end of the holidays with. All right, so before we jump into Butler, let's take a wider view because we've got the AP poll. But actually, the thing I'm more curious about right now is bracketology, which painfully early to talk about it but i saw espn had marquette as a higher seed than yukon which yes marquette is undefeated <laughs> and if yukon played that exact same schedule then they would also be nine and oh but just where do you feel yukon is right now with their resume how are you looking at them going forward and what do you think right now is like a realistic spot for where they land yeah, so I have them as a four seed right now on her hoop stats. I honestly don't even know what ESPN has them as, but it's hilarious Five. that Marquette, Marquette is higher. Um, I feel like the four seed is the right spot right now. Like, yes, they've lost three games, but they've also played the toughest schedule in the country. And especially now that you've got a win over UNC and a win over Louisville under your belt, like, that's, that's a pretty decent resume. Um, I think realistically, assuming they keep kind of playing like they have, they probably move up from here. I think some of these other teams that are really high right now have good recipes right now, but I just kind of expect some of them are going to take a tumble when we get into conference play and they're they're going to get exposed. So a lot of teams are riding like wins from week one, week two to like higher seeds at the moment and then haven't really played anyone since. Um. So I, I feel like realistically, they probably end as a two or a three. It's like, it really depends what happens to the rest of the country, though, and like what UConn does the rest of your schedule. You get two wins over Marquette, two wins over Creighton. Those are going to be really good wins. They still have to play Notre Dame. That could be a really good win. Obviously, South Carolina looks really good. Getting that win, I think you talk about a whole different ballgame in terms of where UConn's standing, but... Um, I mean, if you expect that to be kind of the, like the less loss left on their schedule, like they probably end up ending as like a two seed as long as they don't get blown out in that game. Right. If they can make it competitive, you probably feel pretty good. And that's also a long ways away. That's what, like two yeah. months. So we're talking who knows? so many hypotheticals right now, right? Yeah. All the hypotheticals about what UConn's going to do, all the hypotheticals about what everyone else is going to do. So it, it's really hard to say right now. But I think they are in a good spot in terms of, like, you have chances to get quality wins in conference play, really high-quality wins over Marquette and Creighton, even, like, a Seton Hall team that looks like they're going to be in the field, I would say, from what I've seen. They got a really big win. Last week over UNLV, you've got a Nova team that's probably going to ride the bubble. Like, there's going to be chances for good wins in conference play. A Seton Hall team that just loves being on the roller coaster. 
Yeah. <laughs> they were down what, like twenty-one to two yesterday against Georgetown. Came back and won. <laughs> yeah. But no, it it feels like the conference is probably the strongest since UConn's been back because, like, UConn is what UConn is. I don't think. I think like realistically, they're if we're just talking about where they stand in the country, not rankings, not resume. I kind of see them as like a five to 10 range somewhere in there. Yeah. You can pick your poison. I think Marquette and Creighton are probably like 15 to 25 ish. I mean, depending on how Marquette starts to do against some more quality opponents, but they have beaten Creighton. And then you've got a really strong middle class and even like Butler. I don't think Butler is a terrible team the way that they've been in years past. They're kind of like a poor, a like Walmart version of Creighton in the way that they shoot the three they've got. I, th- I think Austin Parkinson's one of the better coaches in the big East. And if Butler yeah. decides to treat their women's basketball program, like a major program on like it is on the men's side, instead of a mid major, they could end up being, you know, a, a Creighton level or a Marquette level in the next few years. But there's a lot more meat here. It's not just a UConn and everyone else. It's UConn. There's a good second tier, and then there's a, still even a good third tier before it really drops off. Yeah, you're talking about, I mean, I'm pretty sure Lucy Olsen from Villanova is, like, second or third in the country in scoring right now. Like, there's not going to be a lot of easy outs in the Big East. Yes, there are going to be teams like Butler by 30, but it's not going to be, like, you just roll over and beat them by 30. Like, they're going to have to do things well to do that yeah i think monday was a really good example of that uconn even when like they were losing to butler it felt like they were outplaying butler but it's just not an easy game that was not a very easy 25 point win or whatever it ended up being it it was a blowout but it wasn't a comfortable blowout like they had to work a lot harder to get the win against louisville even though it ended up being the final score but it wasn't like well, I guess that's kind of a good example is the final score ended up being similar to what it was against Louisville, and that's less of a knock on Louisville and more of a credit to Butler and just the way that they hung in there. Yeah, agreed. Let's talk about the poll, though, because... <laughs> it is too funny this week. It's just... It's so typical where... I, I go back to the Texas one, and the Texas game is the one that I just really uses my example of how much of a double standard UConn's held to, where Texas is 10, UConn is 11. Texas beats UConn and jumps up five spots, so they get the credit for beating UConn. UConn drops six spots, I believe, to 17, because apparently they're not allowed to lose. But then UConn beats a UNC team that's ranked 24 at the time, they don't move. UNC only drops one spot. And then the exact same thing happens against Louisville. They beat Louisville. Don't move. Louisville only drops back one spot. But you can only imagine if you reverse that. Like, let's talk about Louisville because it's a closer number. They're the same, essentially the same spot in the poll. Right. Louisville would probably be, what, like 11 or 12, and UConn would be hoping that it stays in the poll? Yeah, exactly. And. I think the funnier thing is it's not like, you know, if UConn beats Louisville at home by 
five, eight points. Yeah, sure. Okay, then the, yes, those are like equivalent teams. But you kind of blew Louisville out of the water, and you still think that's the 17th and 19th best team in the country? Like, I just don't understand where that logic comes from. Um, also, I haven't gone through individual polls, but I, I have been told by people that have that many people have Louisville above UConn in their poll. That's just got to be, like, that has to be the Louis the the AP site just not updating, though. I, I refuse. No, I'm, like, looking at it now, and I, like, I literally think people do, because they have two losses, so they drop them, but, like, <laughs> it's just, like, there's no logic. <laughs> like, I, I always try and understand that there is a difference between who are the best teams in the country, who are the top teams in the poll, and who are the top seeds in the tournament because one is just a very subjective mark just what you think right the other two are like essentially they're games the poll is one game and there are rules to the game if you win generally you will go up and if you lose you will go down and it's and it's fine that way this is not right. a metric of who is currently the best team in the country even though you know, the, the top three, they probably got it right with South Carolina, UCLA, and NC State. But just playing the game of the poll, you would have thought that UConn would, like, they'd bump up to, like, 14, yeah. 12 through 14 for NC State. You know, if you don't want to put them ahead of Baylor because Baylor's off to a really good start and Stanford's looked good and Colorado's, you know, got that win. But... <laughs> week one over an LSU team that doesn't look all that great but yeah <laughs> yes yes but in theory I think it would be fair to have them like sure that should UConn be in the top 10 probably not just based on how the poll works but they should probably be a lot closer to 10 than they are to 25 it just yeah it, it's the double standard that UConn faces where well yes you should have won Louisville and UNC but what happens when you play Texas and Texas did what they probably should have done on their home court? Why is UConn simultaneously being punished for losing and Texas right. rewarded for winning? And now UConn is being punished for winning and the other teams aren't being punished for losing. It doesn't make sense, but it's in fairness, the coaches poll has done the exact same thing pretty yes. much. So yeah, everyone is done. And honestly, like conference play will probably figure a lot of this out. I think we're going to learn a lot about the national picture as we get into conference play. I think we have a lot of teams that are high in the poll that are riding a couple early season wins, but haven't played anyone. And they're going to start having to play people in conference play. Right. Like what does USC look like in a month when they've had to play Stanford and UCLA or... Right. Exactly. Same thing for Colorado, honestly, mm -hmm. even LSU. And they have to start playing some real teams in the, the SEC, though the SEC is not looking great. Honestly, the Big East might be better than the SEC this year. Someone's going to come yeah. for me for saying that, but it, it might be true. <laughs> I know. The, the SEC wasn't that strong last year. They were extremely yeah. top-heavy, but they only got, what, like three, four teams in the tournament? Oh, I think they had more than that last year. Oh. Well, regardless, ignore me saying yeah. that. But, like, Utah, how do they do with some of the injuries they've had? There's no way Kansas State stays this high. Notre Dame's going to have a rough time without Olivia Miles. I don't know how long Sonia Citron's going to be out, but 
I can't imagine it's going to be a cakewalk through the ACC right. for them. Virginia Tech is a fraud. Indiana's a fraud. <laughs> yeah. Like, I honestly, if you pitted, like, let's pick UConn, 17 through how many am I going back? The six schools in front of UConn or the seven schools from, like, Baylor, Baylor, Utah, Kansas State, Ohio State, Notre Dame, Virginia Tech and Indiana, and then you've got UConn, Marquette, Louisville, Gonzaga, Creighton, Florida State, Washington, and North Carolina. If you were like pitting those two t- like sides in a tournament, I think I would take the UConn group over the that <laughs> chunk ahead of them. Yeah, I kind of agree. Yeah, I feel like if you look at like some other metrics, though, like like the net kind of feels like it has it a little bit more correct. Oh, not totally there, but because like Notre Dame is so high, for example, but like UConn's around 11, that feels about right, like where they should be right now. I think that like UConn is where they are in the AP poll because of the three losses, which like doesn't take into consideration where everyone else in the poll would be if they had played the same schedule, but it'll all start working itself out in conference play. Yeah. And ultimately, the poll means nothing, so. <laughs> no, of course not, but. It's fun to rant about it every now and yes, then, agreed. as long as <laughs> we're not discussing LSU. Yeah. <laughs> so, Butler, I feel like we've hit a lot of what happened in the Butler game. Though we haven't talked about Ashland Shade, a career high, you know, that night. No, I, I think it actually is still her career high. First ever 20-point game. She was just, she was cooking. I mean, everything was falling for her. She was playing with confidence. No turnovers, only one foul. Like, a, a sneaky four assists that I don't think I even really noticed. But I think it's, un, like, she's not going to average 20 points every single night. But if she can just start to be a, a consistent contributor and can give UConn some good points every night, even Louisville, she only at five points, played 28 minutes, but I thought she gave them good minutes in that game. It wasn't like she was a negative out there. So if you just start with being a a positive factor when you're on the floor, that's a good start. But talk about someone that doesn't want Christmas break to get here because she's <laughs> clearly feeling it with her shot. And it's not just that the shot's going in because we obviously know that she can shoot, but it's the confidence that she's taking these shots with. She's getting the ball and there's no hesitation. It's just boom, right up. And more often than not, it's going in. And I think that's a really good sign because as again, I've said ad nauseum, I think the scoring is just 1% of her game. There's so many other things that she could be doing for this team. But if right now you're just getting the scoring, that is something that this team really, really needs and is a really good start. So it's, it's just kind of the the idea of sometimes it's better that players have to get thrown into the fire and they have that pressure where they have to produce. It's Gino said it, it was affecting her a lot earlier in the year, but it seems like it's almost making her better. It's the, the whole pressure turns it's turning her into a diamond right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's been really good so far. Then Aubrey does what she does again, and. Butler shoots the lights out. UConn comes back. The Nika's sick in that game. And I remember during warmups, we sit at the XL Center right where UConn comes in and out. And I remember there was a point where Nika kind of ran into the 
into the tunnel, into the locker room during warmups. And I didn't think a whole lot of it. And then she came out back onto the floor. Like it, I don't think it's uncommon for players like, Oh, I forgot this or that. Let me just run back in and go grab it. Um, or something like that. And someone actually got a video. I, I wish I had their name in front of me, but they took a video at the end of the half, Gino like motioned to Nick, Nika to go in and she kind of gave him the, the like, can't do it. Uh, the, the, like, how do you describe this motion that I'm doing that no one can see right now? The, like <laughs> the, the, almost the throat slash, like the cut it motion with her hand stood up and then kind of like doubled over and immediately went back down. And then the second half, it was late in the game. She left, ran, ran in and didn't reappear. And Gino said afterwards that it's a stomach bug that's been bothering her since before Louisville. So the fact that she played the way she did against Louisville and we didn't particularly notice I think that's that's a pretty good sign. I know the turnovers were a mess against Louisville, but I think it's fair to blame those on the uh, on the on the uh, illness. <laughs> yes, on the illness uh, because we like Nika, and we'll yeah. give her that out for now. <laughs> if they continue, then maybe not. But yeah, I mean they're probably not all a result of the illness, but you would have to think that like trying to play out there while having a stomach bug is going to make you a little mentally foggy. All right. Like it probably does affect you somehow. So if that if it doesn't continue, I think we can just chalk it up to the stomach flu. Yeah, and talk about someone that's actually going to be happy to get this break. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, she can get better. She said she didn't think she was going home. It didn't sound like she was planning on going home. She'll probably end up in Florida with her sister or some of the Croatians playing over here, some other uh, international players, but a, a good start to conference play. And just, I was a little concerned at the way that game started. That is a, a letdown after Louisville, but they figured it out. There's no point where it's like, my God, what are they doing in this game? They just had to ride out the storm early and they turned it around. And Aliyah said they just started playing their game and kind of forcing their game onto Butler and again against Louisville the game before. And I think it's a good sign that they, they're aware of what they need to do and they're aware that once they kind of can dictate how the game goes, that can turn things. Then we've got Toronto Metropolitan. And I think the biggest takeaway from this game is it is great that Toronto Metropolitan stepped up and allowed this game to happen after Pitt backed up and it, I was hopefully a great experience for all involved. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, obviously, really happy for Aaliyah that she got to have this game, right? Like, that's what really yeah. matters. And yeah, the outcome is <laughs> what it is. But ultimately, it was about making something happen for Aaliyah. Yeah. And I was really worried in the first three or four minutes that that thing was going to get really ugly. UConn was up 18, nothing, or it was scoring at will on offense. TMU couldn't do anything on the defensive end. I was genuinely concerned that UConn was going to set the program record for just for both points scored and allowed in the same night. They were going to win by like a hundred. I wasn't even like for a while. I wasn't planning on, tweeting any scores or putting a, the score in the headline of the recap or anything like that. But then it was very clear that like after the first quarter, everyone kind of took it down a notch and 
it ended up being just kind of a typical lower tier conference blowout that UConn's had in the past. It's only the seventh highest margin of victory ever in program history, which it would it would have felt a little weird if they were setting program records in that game because then we would have had to start hitting the qualifiers against Division One opponents or everything like that. So no one got hurt. No one got overly embarrassed. Aaliyah was able to play in front of her friends and family and Kia Nurse, and it all worked out for the best. So it's pretty much the only takeaway that comes from TMU from over here. And Ashley yeah. played really well again. Agreed. I think, you know, they looked good as they should against that caliber of opponent, but still, I think anything that looks good right now is a good sign, and only gets her homecoming game, and... Yeah, there's not much to say about it. <laughs> they get to have some fun leading into the Christmas break. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also the freshmen. My God. Just the way they, they were playing and hitting those shots. I can never find this Gino quote when I'm looking for it because I wasn't at this game. But Liv, Olivia Nelson Adota put up like 20 points, maybe a double-double in an exhibition against Southern as a freshman. And Gino said afterwards that you'd rather see them do it against someone. You'd rather have them do it than not against this caliber of opponent. And the freshmen certainly did it. I mean, they couldn't miss a shot for a while. They had almost like close to half the team's points on the night. They'd well over half the team's points by halftime. I think they only missed one shot at a certain point. So... You know, regardless of who you're playing, you still have to put the ball in the basket, and it's not like the dimensions of the hoop or the court or anything changed. So the fact that they dominated the way they did, regardless of the opponent, that was pretty fun, and hopefully a confidence confidence builder for them going forward. Yeah, agreed. I think, like you said, it's better to see it against an opponent like this than not at all. So it's a good sign going forward. On that note, we're going to wrap up this episode of Chasing Perfection. Both of us are heading on to our Christmas breaks starting today. Fingers crossed if all goes well for both of us. But Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays. We will be back maybe before the Marquette game. We'll figure it out after we reconvene. But thank you all for listening and enjoy the season.